Abba, we thank you for keeping your word, Lord, and not one yoke or one fiddle, Lord, is lost. May you prepare the writings, Lord, in your land, in Mount Israel, and it's reached here, Lord, the Hawaiian Islands. Your faithfulness extends, Lord, to the uttermost ends of the earth. And we, as the Hawaiian people, we say mahalo. You have sent your word here. And that we too can partake of the heavenly blessings that you have provided to Yeshua. So to him, we owe it all. And to him, we give the praise of God. In his mighty name, in his authority, we pray. And we all say, Amen. Alright, so last week we kind of started on chapter 26. And we noticed that when we went to chapter 25, it really wasn't about Isaac. It was about uh, his dad's passing and his two sons, Jacob and Esau. And we saw the death of his father. And um, Isaac lived a pretty relaxed, we would see, sort of compromised life. But from chapter 27 on, not much will be written about um, Yaakov. It will be all about Yaakov, not about Yitzchak. But what this chapter is going to show, it will reinforce and revalidate that Isaac is the actual seed son. Uh, we're going to see, as we only went to like uh, six verses earlier, that Isaac will experience almost identical circumstances that his father went through. You heard of the father like son scenario. This is the exact scenario. We talked about there was a family in the land, and um, when trials come, trials come to test our faith. And what the trials do is take us to the next level of maturity. So we all, according to scripture, will experience trials and tribulations, and it is three periods of trial. Whether you're entering the trial, you're experiencing it in full-blown uh, capacity, or are you actually coming out of one? And now if you're not in any of those, we found out that someone we know is going through a trial. And it, it actually, you know, um, makes our heart uh, feel stressed and will burden some for our friends and family. But all of these things are used that the Lord can mature us in our faith. So even if we, like Isaac, was a child of promise, we still need trials to prove our faith. So never uh, condemn trials. Why me? Why you? Because God wants you to mature. So usually in trials, there's certain different responses. And we're going to see the same two different type responses between Abraham, the father, and Yitzhak, his son. So Abraham, when he experienced the first uh, famine, 
he left the land. He couldn't handle it. He left the land for Egypt. Even though the Lord already had told him and shown him that Canaan was to be where he was to dwell. What this did was, again, endanger the lives of both Sarah and himself, giving Satan an opportunity to end the promised seed line with the possibility of Pharaoh killing Abraham and taking Sarah into the harem. So we looked at in those days, um, kings didn't want to be known as adulterers. But as far as murderers is concerned, they had no problem with murdering <laughs> their subjects. Because when you murder somebody, the people get more fearful, right? So they had no trouble with killing the husband and taking the wife because now she's a widow, taking them into the harem. So what we saw, um, Isaac was headed southward towards uh, Gerar. And Gerar is really close to uh, Egypt. I don't know if she has that book. He went to Gerar and he talked to the king over there, King Abimelech. It's not the same king that his father met, but it's the same kingdom line. And this is the same place that Abraham, his father, was in chapter 20. So at this point, Abraham, uh, Isaac is still in the land because the Lord told him to stay in the land. And it was in the borders of the promised land. So he had not actually left the land, but the implication to scripture is that he's thinking about leaving the land. So then we, we saw the incarnate appearance of Yeshua himself followed by a revelation to Isaac. The Lord appeared to him and said, do not go down to Egypt. He was planning on going to Egypt just like his father, but the Lord said not to go there. So this shows that even back then, Adonai could read the hearts and minds of men. So even today, he can read our uh, hearts and our minds. And the Lord in verse 3 said, this is the land in Canaan that you should sojourn and hang on. And if you remain in this land, I will give to you, or Zalacha is to your seed, it's a masculine singular, it's just one seed, from the Hebrew word Zerah. So this implanted seed during sexual relations is known as Zerah, the seed. In, in the Greek is Sperma. And this particular seed was placed, that we saw was placed in Adam, came all the way down to um, Gerard, Isaac, and Jacob, all the way down. And this same seed now is going to be the same seed that will impregnate Mary. But how will that happen? We saw that, we looked at the two genealogies in Matthew and Mark, uh, Luke. And we saw that one went through the line of Jeconiah, which Jeconiah was cursed. No one's coming from the uh, lineage of Jeconiah could sit on the throne of David. So he went through Nathan, and through Nathan was the promised seed line. But now, because of the Jeconiah problem, Jeconiah handled the problem, or Matthew handled the problem through the virgin birth. So the whole genealogy was written that we might see the physical life to where the Messiah would come, the actual detailed physical life. But in the end, 
none of that seed was used because there was another seed that was used. Now this particular seed was placed into Adam, the first human being. Now the second Adam, this other seed, is now placed into Eve. So the same seed that was placed into Adam to make to have Adam in his seed is the same seed now that is being placed in Mary. So that is how we get the first Adam and Jesus was called the second Adam because they had the same uh, the same seed the same sperma. So that those two seeds were the same quality seeds that can exhibit perfection. But when you have that choice, the free will, the first Adam failed. Even with that seed that can attain a perfection, but the second seed, the second Adam, did not fail. And it is that through that second Adam that we today can um, walk with him in the land. So though sometimes we look at the genealogies and we find like, hey, what is all these names about? <laughs> the names were distinct to show his physical lineage, that he was a God, because he was the son of God. It says that he was a Jew, right? Abraham, the son of Abraham, he was a Jew. He was the son of who else? The son of David, David. that makes him a king, right? And the son of man, which makes him a human. So all those four qualities were uh, written through this uh, genealogy. And we find that these, these seeds from the beginning, which failed in Adam, in the second Adam, it did not fail. And that's why we today can have salvation. So verse 6, it says, so Isaac lived in Gerar. You have that? One? So in Gerar, <laughs> Isaac will commit the same type of sin as his father, but to a higher degree. Now we can, you know, say we stole something. We can steal a paper clip, or we can rob a bank. Both of them are sin, sin. but they have they have different consequences. Yeah. Did we say that Rivka? Um, Isaac's wife was one of the four most beautiful women in Torah. Torah talks about these four beautiful women. Anybody know all those beautiful women? Sarah, Ruth, and Rivka, and Esther, Hadassah. Verse 7 says, When the men of the place asked about his wife, so maybe it was sent by the king, politely out of curiosity that this one Keep babe is walking around town, this beautiful woman. They wanted to find out if she was available or not because she was so beautiful. And perhaps, if not the king, one of them could be fortunate enough to take her, take her hand in marriage if she was single. So Isaac responds, she is my sister. <laughs> <laughs> For he was afraid to say my, my wife. wife thinking the men of the place might kill me on account of Rebecca, for she is beautiful. Here is another opening for Satan to manipulate these men and their king into taking Rivka as a wife and have relations with her and end the promised sea line. So now we're in trouble again. So his fear of supposed death made him think I guess maybe irrationally and lie. 
Sometimes our fears make us react in an unbecoming way, which make the heart of our God hurt, right? He wants us to fully trust in Him, right? Sister Tasha, fully trusting in Him. I mean, she's got a Philippine to this. Be awesome. So while his dad told a half-truth, there's some truth being that Sarah was actually his half-sister. So when he told her she's my sister, it was half-truth. But she was also his wife. And that was the question, right? Is that your wife? No, she's my sister. <laughs> so as far as Isaac is concerned, Rivka was not his sister, but he was, she was only his wife. So the degree of sin is deeper than his dad's. So Abraham's statement had a semblance of truth, but Isaac, his sons, was void of any truth. So verse 8, it says, It came about when he had been there a long time. So even though Gerar is within the promised land territory, he is still living in occupied territory of Abimelech. So this kingdom of Abimelech, he is living within. He really doesn't mind living under pagan rule. So he lived a peaceful life, sort of compromised in his witness now. So his life, he's living a lie before these people. Another point is that for a long time, as the scripture says, he's been living before these people as a liar and a false witness. <laughs> Anybody here doing that? <laughs> Can we be living a lie or have compromised our walk in some way? We say we love the Lord, but we spend the least amount of time sometimes with Him. And we can consistently push Yehovah's will and call in our lives to the side or on the back burner. And sometimes we don't even notice it. <laughs> Not you. I see you everywhere. Not like you everywhere. So the seed is sown. You don't know the seed? That was sown on thorny ground where we allow the cares of the world to consume us what it does is it leaves our spirit parched and shallow and then we end up having this willingness to not actually want to learn and grow in him because sometimes we can have this feeling that we have already arrived and we've heard it all you probably heard what i'm talking tonight too you heard it all but some they don't even notice it's affecting their lives. So living a fake life in the Lord is living a lie, which is what Yitzhak is living before the people. But what the Lord says, the Lord brings his sin to the forefront. Our sin will always find us out. So Revelation says, remember from where you have fallen, because once we gather our brain cells, then we're like, oh yeah, that's what happened. And he says, remember where you've fallen and return to your first love, Christ Jesus. Sometimes we can lose our spiritual composure and lose our capacity for reasoning. When we walk in the flesh, we have this uncanny ability to justify and spiritualize our disobedience. Masked as holy living. Yeah? Sometimes we can do things just to show I'm doing stuff, but deep inside shallow and hollow. 8b says, Vayashchef Abimelech, Melech, Christine Ba'ad Achalot. That Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, looked through a window, looked through a puka in his wall. 
Now what I notice is, anytime the Bible has anything to do with a window or something, problem, a problem will arise, right? Just like David, right? He looks out and he sees that she was, you know, taking a dad, right? With a window. All this trouble. I know one guy that fall and study all night long and one guy just said, fall out the window. <laughs> I don't know how high that was, but hopefully it was like one story. So evidently, Isaac's tent was pitched close to Abimelech's house, right in plain view of the king, probably like where Meshiva was. And he goes on to say, Vayar ben Himei Yitzchak, Nesachem et Mirka Ishto. And saw, and behold, Isaac was caressing his wife, so there's a three-letter um, there's a Hebrew root word. This is a Hebrew root word for both words, Yitzchak and Yitzchak. That's the root. So you saw that three letters? It's a triad. You know, this was, I don't know, it's the automatic. I was playing guitar and I, you know, chords are made up of triads. And these triads make musical chords with the C chord. And each chord is made up of a triad. And I just thought the Hebrew roots of the, the root words are triads. And when you add no, um, notes or letters to the front, it can mean different things. When you add it to the back, it means plural or singular or more than one, you know, different meanings. And that's the same thing with the triads in music. You add notes to the front, notes to the back, and they have embellished chords in it. That's what these guys, so that's where it is, mitzachet. So in the Hebrew, this is a play on the same words that occurred earlier in Genesis 21. The first time that it happened, there was a negative connotation. In Genesis 21, 9, when the son of Hagar, the Bible says, was Mitzchakim Yitzchak. He was mocking at he laughs. Same word, same root, but it's a Hebrew word play. Now in the English, you're not going to see it, or Japanese, or Chinese, or any other language. Only in the Hebrew language, it comes off clear. So this mocking had a negative connotation where um, the son, Ishmael, had a disdain for this child. And when Sarah saw this happen, she had Abraham expel Hagar and Ishmael from their territory. You get the next letter? So this is Yitzchak. It has a yod in the front. The other one had a man in the front. Now for this passage, the wordplay has a positive feel where this is a proper way that a husband should act with his wife. So Yitzchak was Yitzchakim Rivka. So he was caressing her maybe playing footsies with her or making sport or things that 
things were probably heating up in front of the king's eyes, and he was like, <laughs> husband and wife, <laughs> not brother and sister, or anything. Oh, <laughs> so the middle is the three-letter shoresh, the root. And then on each one is a yod and a min, the min, so same word, but when you add these little letters in there, it has little different shades of the meaning of the word. So it literally means Isaac was Isaac in his wife, Rebecca. So in lying, Isaac was mocking the king, Abimelech. <laughs> Now Isaac had just received the covenant promises that was given to his father. It was given to him from the Lord. But his fear made a mockery of God's covenant. Because he didn't believe God's covenant. So fear, what fear does, if you have fear, fear mocks your faith. Okay? So when you, you go out and you go out in fear, you're mocking the faith that the Lord has given you. Where faith, faith laughs in the face of danger. So either if you have faith, you're going to mock fear. But if you have fear, you're going to mock your faith. So walk in faith and trust in the Lord, because He will always have you. The timing might not be according to what you wanted, but the Lord is always perfect. So he sees Isaac, Isaac and his wife. Now the king will assess what is going on. Amen. And wife to act like this. Awesome. But a brother and sister is definitely a bit bizarre. So the, the king has this suspicious mind. What's going on? So verse 9 says, Then Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, certainly she is your wife. How then did you say she is my sister? This pagan king is here defending truth. <laughs> How's that? This worldly secular king is raising up the banner of truth. Is there anything sadder than a child of God being rebuked by a man of the world? That's wow. pretty sad. Yeah? But at last, Isaac told the truth and answered. So Isaac said to him, Because I said, I might die on account of her. In trying to spare his own life, he put others' lives in jeopardy. Yeah. His sin is exposed with. Wow. His sin is exposed, and the main thing is. He repented and confessed his sin. Right? That's the main thing. The Lord wants us to uh, confess our yeah. sin. Right? Verse 10. Abimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. Where does this pagan king get the idea that Jehovah would have judged his whole kingdom? If any of the men in his kingdom, even himself for that matter, 
had sexual relations with her, that would bring definite judgment according to his king. But in Genesis 21 and 2, this exact situation occurred about 60 years earlier with another Abimelech, another king. And most likely what happened was the testimony was shared with the people and especially to the heir to the, of the kingdom of what had transpired. Now what happened? Every womb was closed in his kingdom. That was the end of Abimelech. But what happened? He cried out to the Lord. He said, hey, I never touched her. I never touched Sarai. I was righteous. And the Lord said, no, I made you not touch Sarai. It wasn't you. You wanted to touch her. I made you not touch her. So what happened? Every room was closed. And the only way the wombs were to be opened was when Abraham would pray to Jehovah to open every womb. So there was a precedence in this case. Verse 11, so Abimelech charged all the people saying, he who touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Whoa. His decree is to ensure the longevity of his kingdom and his people. But notice also that this pagan king had a healthy fear and respect for the Elohim Abraham by itself, both of Abraham and Isaac. And this also shows something, the opposite of how Yitzhak sees himself, right? He's afraid for his life, while this king is over here overtly expressing that you, Isaac, are a powerful man. You possess power that if he and his wife is cursed, they all would be cursed. In fact, they all would die. What is this doing? He mocked the Abrahamic covenant. Elohim is affirming the covenant to his seed son. Curse for curse, right? Genesis 12 was the Abrahamic covenant. So if you can do anything to her, all your kingdom will come down. So the point here is clear. Isaac made the same mistake as his father Abraham and yet was delivered by Adonai, the God of mercy, in the same way. He promised to keep them, no matter what they do, no matter how they did it. So Gerar was the only place that Isaac did not build an altar to their Allah. Now we're going to see, there's going to be a struggle between, we saw there was a, two, a struggle between two brothers in the womb. Now there's going to be a struggle between two people groups. Adonai had promised Isaac that he would bless him if he stayed within the boundaries of the promised land. Now the word of God records the fulfillment of this particular promise. Verse 12. Now Isaac sold in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. And the Lord blessed him. So now you see on TV now, tenfold, a hundredfold. Hundredfold is usually when it comes to reaping harvest, actual fruit, uh, you know, actual harvest field, actually sowing the land and reaping a hundredfold. Now, initially, caring for livestock was his father's trade, and Isaac also grew up with this same particular trade up to now. So, what this family had done is probably wreak havoc upon the animals. 
So now he added a new uh, job description, a new thing, a title of farmer. He's farming now. He's not only a livestock, but not even farmer. So normally farming goes up to 64, 40 to 64, but here we have a hundredfold blessing. Verse 13, and the man became rich and continued to grow richer until he became very wealthy. So he was wealthy with his dad's money, but now he's getting more wealth through farming. So Yehovah blessed him with a green thumb. For he had possessions of flocks and herds and a great household, so that the Philistines, he says, they envied him. They were jealous of him. Verse 15 goes on to say, Now all the wealth which the father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham, his father, the Philistines stopped by filling them with earth. So what they did, those seven wells at least, they filled them all up with dirt. That's pretty dirty, yeah? <laughs> and this is the time of famine, right? No more food, no more water. No, no, no. Stop them up. <laughs> so their jealousy led to their vandalism and hatred and the loss of water, which led to the king to reason with uh, Isaac in verse 16. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are too powerful for us. Wow, you're doing all kinds of stuff, and even when we try to stop you, you're still going forward. Kind of like what the Pharaoh in Egypt said. And Isaac departed from there and camped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. So he went from the upper land to the wadis. So the wadis are like dried out rivers. So he went out to the valleys of the wadis in the dried out rivers, and he settled there. So in this case, he was pretty wise. He agreed to live to leave with no fuss and to be at peace with all men. And now he, so he moved away and he's still living on the outskirts of Gerar. So they decide to dig more wells. And Isaac dug again the wells of water which had been dug in the days of his father Abraham. But the Philistines had stopped them after the death of Abraham. And he gave them some names and which his father had given them. But when Isaac's servant dug in the valley, and found there a well of water flowing that is called the Mayim or living water, the flowing water, living water. And that's always uh, in contrast with uh, cisterns. Cisterns are just sitting water, but Yeshua is always Mayim living water, water that passes through and cleanses. Verse 20, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with the herdsmen of Isaac, saying, the water is ours. So he named the well Eset, because they contended with him. Again, the word, word play, Eset and Asaku, they both mean quarrel. 21, they dug another well, and they rib, which is called, they quarreled over it. It's a different word, rib, over it too. Maybe they, it was even more intense quarreling over it. So they named it Sitna. That's another word for quarreling. So all this strife would eventually lead to continual warfare between the Philistines. <laughs> It'll continue even to the time of King David. They will still have Philistine wars until David takes out the head Philistine and Goliath. 
So they go through this new zip code. They moved a little more away. He moved away from there, and they dug another well. And they did not bother him. They did not quarrel over it. So he named it Rehoboam. For he said, at last, the Lord has made room. The Lord has given us a bigger space. And we will be fruitful in this land. We will have, it's called the well of ample room, or bigger space. The Philistines now know that Yehovah is with Yitzhak. No matter what they do, they still see the Lord's hand of blessing upon them. And finally, they stop quarreling with them. Sometimes that happens with us as believers. If we can shine our light, these people always come against us. We finally see they're hitting against something that's not going to hit back. <laughs> and they're like, I remember we used to go to parties, everybody drinking. Hey, get me up. Take water. You see, you look on the table, everybody drinking water. Because <laughs> it's like you see the Lord's hand on somebody. Even as unbelievers, like, oh, this guy, he can be holier than thou. And then, you know, that, that's, how it, that's how it is. If we can give up our best life, the people will see the hand of God upon you. So you got that map of Gerar? So he was in Gerar, and he traveled down a little bit to Essek, and he, he dug a hole there. They quarreled over that. He went down a little bit more to Sibna. They quarreled over that. Then he went a little bit more down to Rehoboth. And then there was no quarreling. You see what the Lord is trying to get into? <laughs> trying to get into Beersheba. The Lord is gently pushing him down back to Beersheba. Verse 26, And Abimelech came to him from Gerar with his advisor, Asuzat and Fikol, the commander of his army. Isaac said to him, Why have you come to me, since you hate me, and you have sent me away from you? So he's like, Bro, I left you, I'm out of your territory. Why are you bugging me now? Verse 28, They said, We plainly, we see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So we said, let there not be an oath between us, even between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you. This is what happened with the previous Abimelech and Abraham. They too made a peace covenant. And that's what Trump is trying to do, right? Trying to make peace covenant something. All around the world. Yee, don't get up, Trump. Verse 29. That you will do us no harm just as we have not touched you and have done to you nothing but good and have sent you away in peace, you are now the blessed of the Lord. Then he made them a feast and they ate and drank. So I guess they shook hands, made the pact, and they had a party. In the morning they arose early and exchanged oaths, and Isaac sent them away. <laughs> the king sent them away, and then Isaac sent them away. Like, the king kicked them out, now uh, Isaac is taking them out. Now it came about on the same day that Isaac's servants came in and told him about the well which they had dug, and they said to him, We have found water. So he called it Shiva. Therefore the name of the city is Be'er Shiva. So he's they went dig another well. And now they're in Be'er Shiva. 
And in the last two verses, when Esau was 40 years old, he married Yudit, the daughter of the Eli, the Hittite, and Basmat, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. And this is what worldly people do. They bought grief to Isaac and Rebecca. <laughs> you know, some people, they just don't continually bring grief to, uh, to God's people. Even not God's people, I mean, you look at the White House, I mean, this one side is giving grief to the other side, and the other side giving grief is just the world's a mess right now. But I guess we have uh, people in Congress who's trying to do the right thing. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> so what we find is the Lord He's trying to get him more down to Beersheba. Remember, that's where the seven lambs and the seven wells were. But they were all filled up. So I guess you know, the Lord wanted to send him back down to Beersheba. So next week, we're going to see uh, what happened in chapter uh, 27 with uh, Yaakov. It's going to be mostly about Yaakov. So then... Yeah. Like, it's yeah, it's like, but there's so much there. Yeah. This people thinks that you're planning it. So let us pray, and then we're gonna partake of our prayer of God. Heavenly Father, your word is so detailed and exact, and oh, we can see your your hand movements, Lord, how we direct your people all by your providence, Lord, and your sovereign will. And by your sovereign will, Lord, you've uh, shown us the way. And now we, uh, we approach the point where we look at the cup, Lord, and the bread. And we are overwhelmed. That you would give it your body you pour out your blood for people who hate you, for people who despise you. But you still said, Lord, Father, we do not know what they do. And Lord, we know that we did not know what we were doing before we came to know you. And Lord, even now we might not know what we're doing. So we need you, Lord, continually guiding us, filling us, and showing us deeper things, Lord, that as we mature, you might reveal to us the deeper things of the Lord. And through that, Lord, we might be glory to you, in how we live our lives, in how we meet people, Lord, in how we uh, care for people, we care enough to share the good news, Lord. And you, let every one of us have that zeal, Lord, to talk to someone who is damned, and we might be able to turn the Lord from death unto life. The greatest message ever told. The only message that brings eternal life. Let us remember, Lord, when we first came to you. And how thankful we were for the messengers that told us the good news. And now, Lord, we bask in it. But let us not be comfortable, Lord. Let us be about your business as we go forward until the day you return. We can only love you, Lord. 
by showing our good works. We love you, Lord. Continue to show us in kindness. In Yeshua's mighty name. And we all say, Amen.